Welcome to the Bar Hacks Podcast. Engaging interviews, plus tips and strategies to navigate your bar or restaurant business towards sustainable success. Now, here's your host, hospitality industry veteran, journalist, and editor, David Klempt. Hey, welcome back to the Bar Hacks Podcast. We have a special guest, one of my favorite people in the industry. We have Megan Breyer from Maker's Mark. Hi, Megan. Hi, happy to be here. <laughs> you can't see, but I'm making faces and I'm trying to make her laugh. She has the best <laughs> laugh. There it is. How's things? Oh, you know, just living in that COVID world. Continuing to work from home. I've been lucky enough to have, it'll be a year next week that I've been um, working remotely. So, but very lucky to have a job and my health and um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the industry out there and, and what's been going on for them and hoping that everybody will get back up and running soon. And I can't wait to get out and see everybody again. Hopefully, like you said, I'm, I'm hoping that we are out of this soon now that we have three or four vaccines available now. And I guess the, the single shots are already being given at some of the vaccine locations. So that's that's helpful. How's, uh, how's Louisville been? I know that you went from Chicago to Louisville. Yes. Yes, I moved mid... Uh, mid-pandemic. It's, it's been nice to be back. This is home. I was born and raised here. Um, and so it's great to be back in bourbon country and around um, my very, very small bubble of friends that I've seen. And I, I haven't seen a lot of folks, but happy to be here and really excited about springtime coming up. And then hopefully, yeah, the world slowly opening safely in masks. I actually watched a really interesting interview with Danny Myers yesterday, just all about how the state of the industry is changing and how it needed to change. And so let's fingers crossed that as terrible as this past year has been, that hopefully it does start to fix itself a little bit and we have better times ahead. I want to introduce you to the people who have not had you in their bar doing a session because you do some of the coolest activations, I think, that are out there. And the first one I ever saw you do was (laughs) Bourbon is My Boyfriend. Ah. It was a Valentine's Day one. If you want to explain what Bourbon is My Boyfriend is. Sure. So that was a program I developed a few years back. And the idea was at that point in time, I was still working on all of our American whiskeys under the Beam Suntory portfolio. So I had brands like Jim Beam, Basil Hayden, Bakers, Bookers. And if you're getting a theme there, they are all named after men. I always have to give that little caveat there. Um, As much as I would love for one of them to be named after a woman, they were all named after men. And that's where Bourbon is My Boyfriend came from. So the idea was, What if we were able to describe these whiskeys with human characteristics? A lot of times when we are talking to folks and specifically whiskey educators or even bartenders, you can get uh, a little bit inundated with your language. You can go a little bit too highbrow. You can start talking about cinnamon and cardamom and all these things that the average consumer just might not connect with, but something that we can all connect with is human characteristics. I know how I'm going to describe my best friend. I know how I'm going to describe my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I know how I'm going to describe a parent. So the idea was, how would you describe the loved one? Um, I named it again, Bourbon is My Boyfriend, just due to the nature of all of these brands being named after men. And I brought folks in and made a really cheeky and fun interaction where I had a tasting mat that, or actually I think, I don't even know if we had the tasting mats at that point with you, that you were That one in Vegas was my inaugural one. So we did end up developing tasting mats that had pictures of all different kinds of humans that identified in all different kinds of ways. And folks could pick out characteristics and identify who their whiskey identified as. And it became a really fun event. There was like a picture of Brad Pitt 
I think it was like, sure. like a little collage, but I don't think it was like your your final version of the mat. People tended to get real saucy with their descriptions after yes, uh, you know they tasted basil and then went into Jim and Baker's and we finished with Booker. So uh, you know we had some small samples, but uh, folks got a little saucy with their descriptions and got a little got a little bit fun. I remember at one point somebody described one as, as Britney Spears in her prime. <laughs> You got, you know, different, different actors. There was Obama was mentioned once. So folks got really into it and had a really good time, but it was just a fun way to connect with the whiskeys and also give a little bit of education. The second one I saw, and I went to it partially because of Bourbon is My Boyfriend, was uh, <laughs> Oink and Barrel. I showed up with one of my friends and we completely derailed you for like 10 minutes. And I think we were irritating the rest of the audience. <laughs> but Never. Like, Whatever, we're having fun. You guys are all being way too serious. And there was a guy who just ate Hollis meat before you even started. So if you want to explain hey. Oink and Barrel, because that was still one of my favorite activations of all time. Well, thank you. I love that. Oink and Barrel was country ham and bourbon. That one we specifically paired with Knob Creek and the Knob Creek variations. So you had our standard Knob Creek, our Knob Creek rye, Knob Creek single barrel. Uh, so we had a few different iterations there that you could taste through. And then we would bring in country hams from Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia. Uh, sometimes we could find a local one and we would learn about the processes. The coolest thing about country ham, if you did not know, is there's a lot of similarities to how country ham is aged as there are to how bourbon is made. So we would walk through everything from what the pigs ate to talking to mash bills with bourbon. And then of course, aging are the warehouses, our warehouse is temperature controlled. None of uh, Beam Centauri's are. And then, you know, but sometimes the pigs, when they were aging, they were in temperature controlled or they, you know, brought in different humidities and stuff like that. So again, a lot of bizarre similarities. So going back to something that just tastes good, but also has some really cool educational value. And that was one I traveled around the country with and had a, a really good time and ate probably more ham than I've ever eaten in my entire life. That's where I learned that there's a ham belt. There's a ham on, belt. On earth. And I was like, what? <laughs> But I guess the Iberico hams and the hams in like the south of the United States are on the same belt. I was blown away by that. A friend of mine, Steve Coombs, he's actually located here in Kentucky and he wrote a whole book on country hams. And so I learned so much from him. And when I started hosting this event, it was with him. Um, and then I obviously I was traveling around a bunch, but uh, he taught me that and he taught me pretty much everything I knew. I used his book as my resource. Has there been a specific makers activation they've gotten to do yet? So there were two when I was still traveling that I loved doing with makers. One was called Aged and Glazed, and that one was Bourbon and Donuts. So David, you missed out that you never got to attend <laughs> one of those. Aged and Glazed was all about mash bill and thinking through the fact that makers is made with red winter wheat. Red winter wheat is a little bit sweeter. You think about rye grain, rye is dry, wheat is sweet. So makers being made with red winter wheat lends itself to more delicacies and more dessert style foods. Well, who doesn't love donuts? And we worked with various uh, donut makers around the country and we did everything from uh, donuts made with our red winter wheat to donuts with yeast and without so that we could taste the difference that yeast has, you know, basically cake donuts versus a yeast donut. And then also played with different flavor profiles to understand the difference of viscosity and things of that nature and played with between Makers, Makers 46, Makers Cast Strength, and of course our private selection program. So that went really well too. So that was a lot of fun to travel around and, and teach folks about bourbon in a new way using donuts. I'm going to have to go actually get my own donuts and just do this on my own. <laughs> and what was the second activation? 
other one we did with makers was we traveled around and did beefsteak dinners. Beefsteak dinners, I don't know if you're familiar, they were done um, about a century ago. Very typically heavy men, um, but we of course were more inclusive in our style of dinner, but they were often celebrations politically. So years ago, this would have been four plus years ago, I guess, we around an election year when before things got too politically um, infused, we would do these really fun debates and we would travel around and have these dinners that were, you ate with your hands. So the idea of a beefsteak is there's no utensils, there's no napkins, everything comes out and it's very gratuitous and there's piles of meat and you eat with your hands and you get an apron and you wipe your hands on your apron um, and you're able to eat. What we did was we worked with folks and asked them during the dinner to debate topics that had to do with bourbon. So is your old fashioned stirred or is it muddled? Do you like to add water? Do you like to drink your whiskey neat or do you like it on the rocks? And we would have people debate these various topics throughout each course. And then folks would cheer and clap and win. And um, it kind of became a really fun, just debaucherous dinner where you're eating with your hands and you're yelling and screaming out loud and debating cocktails. Did you hand select those people or that anybody could show up in the area? So that was one that started really in the trade community. And so we would work with USBGs. And so we knew we would be, the folks that would be coming were USBG members and in the trade community. And so they'd be wanting to debate those topics. Anything that tends to be successful in the trade community also can often translate into the consumer or the folks that are super whiskey geeks. So whiskey societies and things like that. So we started doing that event with whiskey societies and with the ambassadors. If you are not in a Maker's Mark ambassador, definitely pop online and, and check that out. It's a really fun program that anybody can sign up for. Um, and you can get some really cool knowledge and information about Maker's Mark and um, some sneak peeks into what we're doing. I joined that and I got a cool deck of cards for Christmas. Yeah. And some other stuff. It's awesome. And I'm still just waiting for my barrel to age so I can get my bottle. Well, you have to come to Kentucky. Exactly. So I definitely want to do that. Well, I have family in uh, Lexington. So I have always have a reason to visit. And you're in Louisville. And I'm embarrassed to say I've never been to a distillery in Louisville. I've only been to the ones in Versailles. And I refuse to call it Versailles. I understand Kentucky calls it Versailles. <laughs> it is. It is Versailles, Kentucky. It is not Versailles. I have a hard time with it as well, but it is Versailles. That's the first time I got identified when I went to University of Kentucky as being a quote-unquote northerner is when I asked about uh, Versailles. And they, they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, you absolutely do. You're just going to make me say Versailles. Like, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> But yeah, once things are opened up and we can travel safely, then I definitely want to come back to Kentucky and I definitely just want to go to Louisville. I also didn't go to Louisville for most of my life because I went to UK and UK hates Louisville. I went to Center College, which is in the center of Kentucky, about 40 minutes away from UK. So I'm I'm a UK fan. I do live in Louisville and I, I love Louisville, but uh, probably burned some bridges with that statement. My aunt taught voice at Transylvania. Yeah. Now, Transy and know. Center were um, rivals. So, and Jane Bowie, who is our director of innovation, actually went to Transy. So we have a huge joke between the two of us. We will often joke about our college experiences. I thought it was a joke when they said Transylvania, but there's no Transylvania right. in America. <laughs> no, no, we there have is. Transylvania okay. University in Versailles, Kentucky. But now you are with Makers full-time, and before we started the podcast, you said there's some very interesting things happening at Makers, and not just around the bottles, but let's do the bottles first. Makers Mark has been around, you know, since 1953, so... 
and, and we, we did Maker's Mark really well for many, many years. We didn't have our first innovation until over 50 years later. And that was with Maker's 46. So that was the first time we did something. And of course, that still starts as the standard Maker's Mark. And then it's just French oak finish. From there, cast strength would have been the next quote unquote innovation. But as you're hearing, everything still starts as Maker's Mark. Maker's cast strength is going to be the purest form of makers that you can get. It's, you know, anywhere from about 107 to 114 proof, just kind of depending on the day and the barrel that it comes out of. I think what's interesting is that folks are, are looking to try different things. The private selection program that Jane Bowie did develop is, I think, one of the most innovative out there, being that you get to choose your, your stave finish. So you get to come in and actually make your very own finish. So it starts as makers, but it finishes to whatever you decide that it's going to be and also comes out at cask strength. So I think that's important. The one that I think is interesting that has been released to a larger market this year is actually Makers 101. Don't know if you've had the chance to have that yet. It was released in limited um, allocations this past fall. So the fall of 2020, and it's 101 proof. It's something that has been, we've done for overseas for a few years. We finally decided to release it to America. And the story goes, because, you know, there's always a little bit of lore in bourbon. The story goes that this is how the Samuels family used to gift holiday presents to their friends, was they took it to 101 proof. It was something a little bit special. It was how the Samuels really enjoyed the whiskey. Um, and so that's why we did 101 proof. I'll be honest, if I had to choose, that's the one I am typically going after. It, the 101 proof for me has this perfect amount of baking spices and cinnamon and just that extra depth of flavor. The other cool thing about makers is that we don't chill filter any of our products. So the mouthfeel is going to be really viscous and creamy. And it's just really nice compared to um, you know, some of the, the other bourbons out there that are delightful, but the mouthfeel might be a little bit less just because they chill filter their, their bourbon. Hi there. Just a quick message before we get you back to this episode. If you're looking to take your bar, restaurant, or hospitality business to the next level, I mean to profits of 12 to 15% or more, it's time to take action. Let's start creating your roadmap to success with our proprietary strategies, tools, resources that will inspire your team, activate your potential, and lead your hospitality brand to margins you never thought possible. Visit krghospitality.com right after this episode for more information. Now, back to the Bar Hacks podcast. Private selections, I remember, was last time I actually got to see you at a Tales, and your team had written very interesting notes about different uh, bottles in the suite. And those are some of the best descriptions of flavors I've ever seen. So, yeah, we took the time at Tales to host some, um, some friends, and we brought in private selections from around the country from some of our, our favorite customers. And we had the diplomats. So the diplomats are distillery experts. There's 20 plus of them around the country. So for those of you listening, you might have a diplomat in your, in your market. And um, they typically, when the world is open up, have the opportunity to host events and do really cool activations. So hopefully someday you'll get to meet them. But we had them write the tasting notes in similar vein to how I used to run bourbon as my boyfriend using really quirky fun who is in the bottle. Um, and that was, you know, kind of how we drove excitement to try all these different private selections. We did just retire a stave, though. We have a new stave called Mondiant, which is um, kind of this milk chocolate and nutty concoction that is, it's a stave, but the actual Mondiant is inspired by Mondiant candies, which are our French confectionery. So adds um, some different flavor profiles. So when folks come back and do their next private selection, they have a new stave to choose from, which is the first time we've ever done that. 
Does the client choose that or did makers want to play with that? Well, we retired the Mocha stave, which is one of, uh, well, it was, I'll be honest, our most popular stave, but it also could be very polarizing. It has a uh, kind of, for me, this is a personal tasting note. Um, it was a, very, a little bit astringent, um, but most folks got like a really dark chocolate kind of bitter to it. Whereas now we're leaning in with uh, the Mondiant to something that's a little bit more milk chocolate and, and nut based. Definitely be on the lookout for that then, because if it's yeah. So the first one should be releasing in the next month or so. Some some folks have already chosen, and it just launched last month. So you'll see some private selections. Mocha starting to get go away a little bit. Um, those that did choose a mocha uh, stave in their selection will have the opportunity to do it again, but no new recipes with mocha. And then new recipes will have Mondiant. So you'll start to see those popping up in stores soon. But also grab a mocha if I see one. Okay, that's that's what I'm learning. <laughs> I know beyond your awesome activations, you have a ridiculous amount of knowledge. And I also know that Makers, when we were talking earlier, has some programs that you want to talk about. Tell our sure. audience about, about your off-premise stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So my role shifted in the past couple of years. When you and I met, I was still traveling around as a whiskey ambassador. And then I made the decision to move to Maker's Mark and have a little bit more of a corporate gig and allow the diplomats to really be the ones out in the market and, and activating. But I still work very closely with them on educational programming and developing national trade programs that can go out and really help our trade community in the industry in any way that we can. Something that we've really noticed is, of course, due to COVID and the pandemic, that the off-premise trade members haven't been a focus of a lot of brands. Those folks that are super geeky, the sommeliers, the um, barrel captains, the folks that kind of go above and beyond and maybe get some extra certifications and, and whatnot are doing the certifications, but they aren't getting as much brand love and as much brand education. And so we at Makers Mark decided that we would really like to take that step and offer education that is tailored to the off-premise trade community and really thinking through what do they need to know categorically. So taking category education of bourbon whiskey and really using our folks, such as our master distiller, Denny Potter, our director of innovation, Jane Bowie, even bringing in Bill Samuels uh, Jr. to do storytelling and talking through just kind of how to talk to folks on the floor um, and just give them some of those tools and resources that they can use. Because the other thing we know is that sadly with the on-premise being in a, the tumultuous state that it's in, a lot of those folks are moving to the off-premise. And one of the trends we are seeing is that me, if I was an average consumer, I don't get to go to a bar anymore and talk to my bartender and try something in a small sample and ask them what they're seeing or tasting but I am going to go into a liquor store and probably buy a bottle. And what I am going to do is expect that sommelier to not just know about wine, but to know about whiskey as well, or expect that salesperson who might be geeky in one category to also know about whatever I really want to know about. And so why not offer them the tools and the assets to have a full year of programming led by our diplomats and by what we call the heritage team. So the, the master distiller, the innovators and things like that, and give them those resources. That's what we're working on. It's called um, Before the Bottle. And then is there, and I have misremembered this, but is there a Beyond the Bar or a Beyond the Bottle one that you mentioned? Yeah, there's also one called Beyond Bourbon. And that Not is good. our on-premise focus because we definitely also cannot forget about our on-premise friends. We do know that we had to shift how we speak to those folks in the on-premise. We want to be very sensitive to what they're going through. And so it was a lot about taking a step back 
and thinking about making an investment in the community and those that pour themselves into everything they do every single day and every single shift. So Beyond Bourbon takes a little bit more of a holistic approach in multiple different subjects. And we kind of bucketed it in three ways, looking at finding balance. We know that's important right now. Um, figuring that out from whether that's mental, physical health, financial health, things of that nature, bringing in experts to help with that, to dealing with things beyond the bar. How do we connect with our community? How do we network? How do we really support each other in these crazy times? And then of course we did have to include some behind the bar stuff, but we took a step in thinking through, okay, what is the community going to look like when we open back up and what do we need right now? You know, cocktails to go, sustainability methods and things like that. And so there's programming for that again, that our diplomats will be leading across the country and should offer some tools and resources and, and hopefully help some skill building to the trade community. And, and we just want to be there for, for everybody right now. Will that be accessible online or will people have to visit on premise? So the diplomats will be leading in their markets. So like I said, there's 20 plus of them. And so they'll be reaching out to their trade communities, I would assume, through either USBG or um, various trade partners. We were talking and you mentioned that Makers comes from a family that is very women-centric, including one of the founders. So if you yeah. want to share those details, that's awesome. Sure. Yeah. One of the things we really believe in is partnership and inclusivity. And it really goes back to our co-founders. When we think about where makers came from, it's, it's thinking through the fact that Bill and Margie started this brand together. Bill, you know, made the whiskey that went inside that glass bottle, but Margie was the brains behind the red wax, the label, the name. Um, and so without both of them, we wouldn't have this amazing brand. And so when we talk about Margie, we really think about the fact that she was a pioneering spirit who happened to be a woman um, in the 50s. And so we know that there was some adversity and some challenges to be the marketing brains. And she wasn't a marketer by trade. Um, you know, so she just had a keen eye and inspiration and her and Bill worked together for this brand. And so every year around International Women's Day and um, Women's History Month, we really try to take a step back and, and think about all of the folks out there who are women, who identify as women, who are advocates for women and, and support them throughout the month and, and beyond that and, and really challenge folks to think above and beyond and to take that step out, even if it's scary, because there's, you know, an important, it's important to do that. I'll put you two on the spot, but do you have any bits of advice for operators for how they can be allies for women in this industry? Mm. And I mean, beyond, you know, just let's have a day or a, a month where we feature our women bartenders like on our right. social. Listen, listen a lot. <laughs> Sounds easy. It's not. Ask the questions. Make your staff feel comfortable. If you are uncomfortable, I think it's better to admit that if you don't understand, you know. There's a lot of learning to be done. I'm still constantly learning. You know, there's a lot of folks identifying in different ways and we all need to be sensitive to that and ask the questions. And, and I think honesty and vulnerability are really important right now. And also being patient to, to take the time to learn, but don't be afraid to be a little bit of vulnerable. I would much rather have somebody ask a question rather than assume um, and, and get into trouble that way. And then I would say really equality, you know, hiring and promoting and not doing so based on gender. Some of my guests who are with brands or in jobs that are super knowledge-based, I've been asking them a question that I completely stole from Jim Jeffries and his, I don't know about that podcast. They ask for a dinner party fact, which I've been calling like a, a bar chat fact, like something about makers that most people don't know. <laughs> 
couple things about makers that most people don't know. I feel like I've sprinkled a few little Easter eggs throughout. So I'll repeat a couple and then maybe add a few. Every single bottle is hand dipped. So I think that is something that because the, our red wax is so iconic, if it's sitting on your bar or on your table, you're pouring from it, you can always say, did you know this bottle? It was actually hand dipped by a live human in Loretto, Kentucky at Star Hill Farm. So I always think that's really cool that you know there's that handmade feature. Every single label is still hand cut. I mean, it is a large press, but it is still you know hand cranked and cut. I think probably one of my favorite things, and I know folks won't be able to see me, so I guess I don't really have to point at the bottle, but uh, when you look at the label, there's a star with an SIV and a circle around it. So that is our word mark. The star stands for Star Hill Farms, which is um, where uh, we are located in, in down in Loretto and where the Samuels family uh, had lived. And then the um, S stands for Samuels. The IV stands for um, the number four, which is the number of generations of Samuels that had been involved in the whiskey industry. So I always think that's a really fun one. Now, I'll be honest, we did a little bit of historical digging later and we did found out that technically we had about six generations of folks, but we don't let um, history get in the way of good story. So yeah, the Star Hill, uh, the Star for Star Hill Farms, which is where the Samuels family was, the S for Samuels and the IV for the number four. I think I knew some of that, but I think I always forget what the four is. I'm like, I'm like, were there four stills? Like, I, <laughs> I always like forget what it is, which is why I think we were that at would a be too far from the truth. So the other thing is, is we continue to make our bourbon exactly how it was made when the Samuels family started this. Which means instead of building onto our still or making a larger still, we actually just replicate our still when we need to make more products. So we have replicated our still a couple times. Um, so it wouldn't be surprising to have that many because we want to make sure we are making it the exact same way in the exact same shape of stone. Do I explain that on the tours at the distillery? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, now I don't have to go. No, you have to go. <laughs> it's a magical place, magical bourbon land. Well, thank you so much for your time and for being on. I think people are going to have learned a lot from this one. Hopefully they so. share it. And hopefully... Well, thanks for asking me. You're one of my favorite yeah. people too. So I've been trying to get you on the podcast for months. I mean, I wasn't like hounding you about it, but I was like, I'm going to get you on this podcast. So <laughs> you're going to be on and hopefully you get to come out here again for Cleaver and Herbs. And there's a couple other locations opening up. And then hopefully before my bottle gets poured, I get to uh, see you. That'd in be great. We would love to host you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Have a good day, guys. Thank you for listening to the Bar Hacks podcast produced by KRG Hospitality and hosted by me, David Clement. If you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Follow us on Twitter at AskBarHacks and Instagram at BarHacks. Talk to you soon.